Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hey, happy official uh, name change day, everybody. Happy official name change day. That's uh, that's how we're starting today's show, because the NBA, for reasons I don't fully know, has decided that today they needed to rename all of their trophies. I don't know. I shrug my shoulders in confusion. The NBA has decided today's the day they needed to rename all of the trophies. We'll talk about that a little bit on today's show, uh, for whatever that's worth. Shams putting out the the list of six new trophy names. I, best, I think they're all individual awards. I don't think they changed the uh, the coaching. I think that was one that stayed the same, but uh, MVP, defensive player, rookie, sixth man, improved, and then they added an award called the Clutch Player of the Year, which is like, I don't know. Is there going to be a player who has the most game winners? Best player during the final five minutes of fourth quarter and overtime? We'll find out, I guess. Happy Tuesday, by the way. If you're not going to call it name change day, you probably call it Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Uh, I have, I'm realizing that as I was trying to sort of put together, and this is another one where we're doing uh, a live recording as we're doing this show. I'm realizing that the, the YouTube background is wrong. So sorry, everybody on that side. Those of you listening on the recorded end, you don't care. I don't know that you care even if we're on the YouTube side. But today's show, we're going to have an SGA segment on today's show. We're going to talk about these new awards and we're going to recap Monday's results. This is Fantasy NBA Today, for those that didn't know. Most of you do. I am Dan Vespris. For those of you that didn't know, most of you do. And yesterday's card was, I don't know. A little bit interesting. There were a couple things that I want to point out, but I think most of today is is going to be talking a little bit about kind of how NBA math works almost more than anything else. I want to get into a little bit of a math discussion. Hey, they don't call me pedantic for nothing. We do math chats on this show, whether you like it or not. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I hope that you do. Those of you listening on the recorded side, Please, come on, check out some of these live YouTube shows. Subscribe to our YouTube page. If you're watching right now, hit the like button on the video. That actually does kind of mean a lot to us. And you're like, oh, whatever, what does it even mean? It actually means a lot because it helps spread the show around. It gets a little more viral every time somebody clicks a like button. So head on over there. Uh, It's youtube.com slash sports ethos. Super easy to find. Uh, And for those that are already doing it, sweet. Uh, Let's go through the boxes quickly here because I want to make sure we afford ourselves time to get into some of the other stuff. Miami beat Indiana in what might be the ugliest game of the season. It certainly is the ugliest game of the season so far. It might end up being the ugliest game of the season in total. 87-82, the final score, 169 points scored between the two teams. Miami a blistering, a blistering 38.5% from the field. Indiana a frigid. 35.5% from the field. The pace was slow, the turnovers were medium, the free throws were medium, and the shooting was god-awful. And for Miami, they actually kind of needed this one, which is a weird thing to say for a Miami team that's just sort of quietly been plugging along for the last, 
however many years Jimmy Butler's been in town, but they've been kind of bad this year. The Heat are 13 and 15. They're 4 and 9 on the road, so they got a road win here, and they did it uh, in just a gross basketball game. But we did have one main question coming into this on the Miami side, and it was can Caleb Martin sustain fantasy value when the Heat are fully healthy? And the answer after seeing this ball game was kind of because the Heat were bad. The Pacers were worse. Uh, Adebayo at 22 and 17. He stayed above the fray. Jimmy Butler 27 and 5 with a couple of steals. He generally stayed above the fray, but for a couple missed free throws. And then Kyle Lowry had a bad shooting game. Tyler Harrow didn't do that much, but actually was one of the better positive impact players on the team. Just he was kind of in units that were winning their time on the floor and then Caleb Martin nine points six boards a steal a three-pointer and an assist and that line sort of makes you stop and think through what it means because on the season and this includes a number of games where Hero's been out Hero and Butler have been out just Butler Struess and Butler or Struess and Hero and Caleb was averaging 11 5 and 2 with about a steal and one and a half three-pointers. And that puts him just outside the top 100. And I feel like that's kind of what we got in this ballgame. Eight shots yesterday instead of nine averaging on the year. And yes, he got off to kind of a, a disengaged start. But at the same time, he also led the team in minutes played yesterday. And he's actually kind of falling into this weird little Quentin Grimes group of guys that are playing almost 40 minutes a ball game and not really doing anything with it. Sort of a strange twist in all of that. I'm realizing that I don't really need the the YouTube side. I was leaving up a picture of the, the name change here. Uh, I'm For now, I'm just going to say wait, watch list. I don't think that there's enough in his fantasy game to get him on that Roto Games cap side. Head-to-head, you know, he's been one of the healthier guys on the team for the most part this year. So that's that's worth something. You know, he's been out there for 27 ball games, and that's pretty much all of them. He's missed one, I think. That part is useful. That part, you know, makes sense because you need to roll up numbers over the course of a given week. If he has a four-game week, you can feel pretty confident he's going to play in all four of them. That's often better than some much better player who, you know, has three games, but you figure they might only get into two. But Roto Games cap side, he just hasn't been good enough on a game-to-game basis to use up a cap on him. On the Indiana side, Aaron Neesmith got the start in this one. He left with a shoulder injury after about 30 minutes. He also had five defensive stats, which doesn't at all line up with what he's done throughout his NBA career. Now, I know what you're going to say. Dan, he's never really had minutes before, so how do we know? This is why, and, and you know, you can't get the entire picture from this, but one thing that I like to do in a situation like this one on the handicapping side is to go to basically the Neesmith game log for his entire NBA career and find other games where he's played 30 minutes or more. Say, okay, well, what happens if he actually does get full complement of starters minutes? By the way, it's happened about four times with Indiana this year. This game, 12-6, and six, two steals, three blocks, and two three-pointers. That's way above the cut line. That's a really good game. And, not, you know, if, he, if his shoulder injury keeps him out, then 
you know, some of this analysis ends up being sort of good for nothing. But, you know, he did it less than a week ago. He played 33 minutes in Minnesota and had nine points, three boards, and a steal and a three-pointer. Not close to fantasy value. He played 31 minutes against Orlando in a blowout win. Nine points, eight boards, two assists, a steal, a couple of three balls, and four turnovers. Even that is like borderline top 100. And then if we're, I'm going to round up a little bit. He played 29 minutes and 45 seconds in Washington back in late October. He had 15-7-3 with a steal and a couple of three-pointers. And even that is, again, more like kind of 90 range. So the good ones for him in starters minutes are like 90 range. And the bad ones are still, you know, 150. So that's not to say that he can't do anything fantasy-wise. But it is, I think, relevant when you're like, all right, will he? What does it probably average out to? And he probably averages out to something in that like 115 to 125 range, if that, maybe lower. I've never really seen him play consistent starters minutes. We don't know how that is going to impact his body. So I don't think you need to race out and pick up Neesmith. I just don't think the ceiling is all that high for him. He doesn't hit a ton of three-pointers. He doesn't typically get a ton of defensive stats. He got three blocks in this one. He might not get another block for four weeks. More than anything, I think that Neesmith moving into the starting lineup continues to be kind of the death blow to these Indiana young big men. And remember, I like Jalen Smith coming into the year, but I also four weeks ago saw the writing on the wall and said, we can get out of this thing. We can still escape here with our dignity. We did. Isaiah Jackson... DNP. It's just not happening for these guys. By the way, Tyrese Halliburton had a rare bad game. That hasn't happened pretty much at all this year. It dropped him from number seven, I think, down to number 10. Might have been eight to 10. Doesn't matter. Uh, Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Andrew Nemhard. That's who I wanted to talk about on the Indiana side. 18-5-2 with a steel block and three three-pointers. We mentioned how he was like hovering right in between hold and drop. And I said, see if you can squeeze just a little bit more hold onto it because we've seen that he does have a pretty well-rounded fantasy game and he flexed it a little bit yesterday. Now, it took a very bad Tyrese Halliburton game to free up a little bit more Nemhard, but, you know, it was worth it because Nemhard was solid in this ball game. So that should, I think, buy him a little bit more time on your roster and roll with it. 
Brooklyn beat Washington 112-100. KD and Kyrie were both excellent. Nick Claxton was solid, if unspectacular. Uh, ben Simmons, 10-8-5. and Meh. Remember like three weeks ago when Simmons was going crazy and everybody was like, Dan, he's top 30 the rest of the year. And I said, well, if you can sell him for that, then he's top 30 the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, not quite. Uh, TJ Warren, 19 minutes. He's still like... He's close. He's closer than I thought he would be, but we kind of need him to get to about 23, 24 minutes. If he hits that marker, I think in any one ball game, I might then take the plunge. But we haven't seen him get there yet. And there was also no Royce O'Neal. I don't think that was big on the TJ Warren side, but it did allow Joe Harris to keep starting the ball game. For Washington, Kristaps Porzingis left partway with back tightness. Luckily, he had put up decent numbers prior to that, so it didn't completely obliterate his ball game. Let's just hope it's not a big deal. Jordan Goodwin was an easy stream with no Monte Morris and no Bradley Beal. Danny Avdia, uh, quiet. He was quieter than we had hoped. Uh, figured it'd be a, an easier stream with no Beal and no Morris, but you know, Avdia's been good every time Beal's been out. I, I wouldn't adjust our our expectations for him based on one slightly quieter ball game. Will Barton got hot. There was no way to see that coming. He had a big game. You're not picking him up and you can kind of just rumble along from there. And then Kyle Kuzma had this sort of points league special of 20 points, seven boards, three assists, a block and four, three pointers on uh, category league tanking percentages and turnover numbers. But on the points side, you probably don't care so much. Memphis saw that Atlanta didn't have any of their guys, and so they figured they could pull the plug on a few of their dudes that were kind of dinged up. So no Steven Adams. That meant Brandon Clark got a spot start, and he's always fun in those spots. No John Morant. So Tyus Jones got the spot start, and he is almost definitely the best backup point guard in the NBA. That's an easy stream call to make. Also, when no jaw is around, that means usually a little bit more stuff for John Conchar, who elevates slightly above what we've called the chill stream around the top 100 and instead puts up something that's more like in the 75 to 80 range. JJJ, eight blocks in this ballgame. He is, he's been ridiculous with shot blocking. He's at almost four per game right now. 3.7, I think is what I'm seeing. He's also shooting 51%. And as much as I love JJJ, remember last year he was sort of like our secret attack guy. Uh, he's going to fall off from this mark. He's not going to block four shots a game. Uh, his block rate right now is like the best in 40 years that the NBA's seen. He's not going to shoot 51% with two three-pointers a night. There's a lot of stuff with him that's going to come back to earth. If you can get a second rounder or better, you do it. Anything less than that, you probably just hang on uh, and enjoy the JJJ mega block adventure. With Atlanta... The problem with doing anything there, and frankly, the problem with doing anything with the notes on the Memphis side, is that in this ballgame, almost all of the guys that got ruled out were game-time decisions that tipped the wrong way. Trey Young tipped the wrong way. Clint Capella tipped the wrong way. Ja and Steven Adams tipped the wrong way. These guys, Bogdan Bogdanovich was a rest day on the Atlanta side. These guys could all very well, five for five, could be back in their team's next ball games. at which point... Then you end up blowing a roster move on a Tuesday when I don't think Memphis plays again. Don't they play again in a couple of days? I don't remember when Atlanta. I think Atlanta goes tomorrow, and I think Memphis might be off for two days between games. It Frankly, it doesn't matter. Uh, unless we get some kind of word that these guys are going to be out ahead of time, you kind of can't do anything with it, which is a shame because 
on Yika Okongwu. He's a good fill-in for Capella. Uh, AJ Griffin, meh. He's a little more mad. DeAndre Hunter is a pretty good fill-in when everybody is out on the Atlanta side. Aaron Holiday had a good ball game, but I, you know, I'd, again, Trey Young, how many times has he missed ball games, multiple games in a row? The number is pretty damn low. And Atlanta can't screw around. They're in a weird space right now. Trey's having, there's some off-court drama there that they're being a little bit cryptic about. They're still okay. They're 14 and 14, and they're in the top play-in seed right now. But Atlanta's got to get things kind of straightened out in a hurry here before it starts to consume things a little bit. Dallas beat OKC, no surprise, because Luka was back. Boy, were they bad without him. Now, it's weird, too, because you look at the numbers here. Luka was actually on a plus one. He wasn't in the lineup that dominated this game. It was the three-point barrage. The Mavs hit 22 threes in this game. Tim Hardaway Jr. with a nice little bounce back. He hit six of them. I mean, he shot 38% from the field, but when you take... 16 shots, and the vast majority of them are three-pointers. Probably not going to have a great field goal percent. Maxi Kleba hit two, and he was good in this one. Two, three, seven boards, a steal, and two blocks. Schedule streamer-level guy lately, Kleba. They like the way he's playing more than they like what Christian Wood is doing. Wood is more the offensive kind of attack animal coming off the bench, but if they don't need that, then they're not going to play him. And Wood was a minus 11 in a game they won by seven. It's terrible. I know plus minus doesn't tell the whole story, but like for those I've seen on Twitter, there's this like really intense clamoring for all Christian Wood. And guess what, guys? There are many a night where he's not their best center. Is he their best offensive center? Yeah. But does he fit the best with what they're doing night to night? Not every time. Sometimes they need a center who's going to be a low usage, good rebounding, defensive floor stretching reliable guy and that was Kleba yesterday you're not really changing the outlook on a lot of this stuff it is nice however to see Tim Hardaway Jr. bounce back after a couple of very quiet games and right now he looks like kind of a rest of season pickup steal which is crazy to think because he was completely non-existent the first five weeks of this year and the last two and a half weeks he's been an absolute monster minus, you know, one game in there where he was really bad, another game where he was pretty bad. But, like, going back to November 29th, I believe that was when they put him in the starting lineup. Tim Hardaway Jr., just in three-pointers, 5, 6, 8, 5, 6, 2, 2, and 6. See how fast I can do the math on that. 11, 19, 24, 30, 34, 40. That's 43 pointers in eight ball games. That's an easy math to do, thank goodness. Five three-pointers a game over that stretch. And, mind you, he's actually been bad at the foul line during that run. He had a game where he went like 0 for 2 or 0 for 4. I think he had another one where he went 0 for 1 or 0 for 2. I realize, again, the field goal percent is slightly inflated over that run, but the free throw percent is actually slightly deflated. We might be looking at a top 70 pickup. That's crazy. Maybe, I mean, you know, even if he falls back to like 80-85, it still ends up as a really nice grab. The Oklahoma City roulette wheel, I, I mentioned it on yesterday's show in our weekend recap. I'm just done with it. I'm done with it. I don't want anything to do with all of this crap. Uh, Alexei Pokashevsky only back down to 22 minutes. Jeremiah Robinson Earl played 14 and then left with an ankle tweak. Um, Isaiah Joe got 21 
Jalen Williams played 38 minutes in this game. And frankly, if everybody else is out, then you probably do add Jalen Williams. I'm not racing to do it, though, because as everybody gets healthy and then the... Like, we've seen it too many damn times. It's two-plus years of this where... For a week, Poku gets big numbers, and then a week it's Robinson Earl, and then a week it's Jalen Williams, and then a week it's frickin' uh, Darius Baisley, and then it's whoever the hell that dude is that's out on San Antonio now. <laughs> the whole thing is just obnoxious. I don't know why I can't think of a name. Doesn't matter. Uh, Isaiah Roby is the player I'm thinking about. I'm really trying hard to mute my microphone when I when I have to sniffle. I hope you guys are appreciative of that. <laughs> I really hope so. I'm working my hardest here. So, the you know, the short version on that Oklahoma City thing is that I'm just leaving it alone. I know that, like, we could make a case game to game for different pickups and drops, but that's just too much. So, screw it. Spurs accidentally won a ball game yesterday, which they were not trying to do in the fourth quarter. They were like 90% of the way to pissing it away, and then our, our buddy Keldon Johnson fly-swatted a last-second layup try that would have given the Cavaliers the lead and probably the win. Karis LeVert was decent again, but you know what? I don't care. I do like that they're bringing him off the bench, though. He makes a lot more sense running the second unit because then they don't have to sort of artificially move the playing time around for Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. They can just play those guys when they want to, the staggering there is less necessary. Uh, but in this one, for whatever reason, the starting unit for Cleveland was just, like, they, they got beat up a little bit. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was still fine, but, you know, he's slowly, slowly showing signs. He's down to number 11 now, nitpicking a little bit. And then Darius Garland just, you know, he hasn't been... He hasn't been particularly good on the year. He's number 63. It's pretty remarkable, actually, how much Donovan Mitchell has just taken this team away. They, they really aren't sharing it. It's it's, it's Donovan's club. Uh, nice to see Jared Allen with another good ball game, though. He's been kind of quietly climbing the ranks, and he's up to number 48 on a per-game basis now, mostly because the blocks are starting to show up. That was the thing that was lagging way behind the other stuff. No adjustments to the fantasy numbers there. Same deal on San Antonio. I've had some folks ask if I'm worried about Devin Vassell coming off the bench. Spurs are just trying to get creative with, you know, how to how to make sure they accidentally purposefully lose ball games. They're nine and eighteen right now. Uh, they're gonna have to rattle off a few more losses because they've actually won a few games in a row. Oopsies. So we'll see. We'll see some tanking coming up here. It won't be. It'll probably be kind of obvious. Keldon went back to missing a bunch of shots. At least his free throw stroke wasn't that terrible yesterday. I mean, this is really extremely annoying. His shooting has been untenable. Frankly, you can't start him in Roto while he's shooting like this, but you kind of have to because if it just sort of comes around, you want to be there for it because dude took 25 shots. Using 25 shots, you have to be real bad from the field to not be a good fantasy value, and unfortunately, that's kind of where he's been here lately. Uh, Zach Collins went into the fourth quarter with two fouls. He ended up fouling out of this game. I, how, Zachary? Charles Bassey, uh, 20 minutes for him is generally enough, but, you know, if Collins doesn't foul out, he probably gets more like 30 instead of 28. It didn't adjust the numbers that much. And in a situation like that, you, you pretty much take the guy playing 30 instead of the guy playing 18 minutes. 
So for Collins, he's going to be a low-end fill-in here for Jakob Pertl, who we still don't have a return time on. No, you're not adding Josh Richardson. And uh, so from that, you just move on to the next one. Portland blew out Minnesota. The good news in this ball game is that Kyle Anderson still got the start and still played basically the same number of minutes as all the other starters. So he, to me, has solidified himself as a very safe cat fill-in. And on the other side, I mean, it's a long stream. It's a great opportunity play for slow-mo. For Portland, you know, Jeremy Grant had a more efficient ball game, but we've all, you know, we've seen the, the usage taper off. He only got 12 shots in this one. Anthony Simons only got 13 shots in this one. And then Dame just went buck wild. 38 points, 11 three-pointers. Dame is back, man. And he's putting a dent into these other dudes. Shout out to Lillard for jumping from, like, ranked 40th to 17th in the span of a week. But Simons has already fallen off about 10 spots since Dame came back. Where's Jeremy Grant at? I don't think he's fallen quite as far because his field goal percent has actually gone up. Yeah, he's still hovering right around 50 thanks to the bump in field goal percent. But you're going to see this stuff taper, and you just you want to lock in the value. That's all. Just lock in the value. You don't have to abandon ship. That's not what selling is. You're locking in value. It's much simpler that way. Think of it that direction. And then, kind of burying the lead a little bit here, Kawhi Leonard. Great game for Kawhi. His minutes were a little bit lower because it was a blowout win. He didn't have to finish the ball game. I think they were Clippers got all the starters out with about two and a half minutes to go, so it would have been about 30, 31 minutes for Kawhi. But the real key was that he just looked good. He looked engaged. He looked sort of like angry mode. And he was a nearly a team best plus 23 in a game they won by 20. So, you know, good to see again that he's doing most of the damage there. 25, 9, and 6, a steal, two three-pointers, 10 for 12 shooting. I don't know how he went 3 for 6 at the foul line in a game where everything else was going in. But this is his best game uh, of the year. His best game since the regular season in 2000 and late 2021. No, that's not even right, is it? Yeah, late 2021, prior to the injury. And so he continues to kind of get there. And now, it's funny to watch social media because like three weeks ago, people were trying to sell Kawhi for peanuts. I literally had analysts saying to give Kawhi away for nothing. Like, for guys that were ranked in the 140 range. I get it, but you like our job as analysts has to be to help people maintain their composure in situations like that. Because, I'm, look, I'm with you, man. I have some Kawhi Leonard's on my team because, to me, going in the 30s felt really late for a guy that can be a first-round per-game guy. And I play a lot of games Cap Roto, so that makes that decision a little bit less crazy. And then with all this other stuff going on, the soreness, that was annoying. The ankle tweak, that was annoying. Yeah, I mean, it sucked. Dude has played for like a week and a half this year out of uh, eight weeks of basketball. That sucks. You know I hate drafting injured guys. I hate it. Now, we didn't know Kawhi was going to play a game and a half and then sit for three weeks coming off of injury it's a little bit of a different discussion to have but like he turned out to basically be a guy that was injured to start the year that's hard I get it believe me I get it I'm there with you on that one but you cannot panic 
You cannot make a panic move. Now, I also saw folks that were trading him for, like, an injured Damian Lillard, I think, was one that came across the board. Uh, guys like in the in the 40 range, you know, guys like a Vooch or a Jared Allen or, you know, even like a Brandon Ingram or something like that. These are a little bit less insane. Like, I kind of understand those because at least you're getting a player that's going to move the metaphorical boulder forward. But we know enough, like, okay, so you never should have drafted Kawhi on the head-to-head side, and we said that during draft season. So I'm going to talk about Kawhi Leonard as if this is a roto-only discussion right now. Games cap format, you should be able to just squat on him. And then you're like, okay, when he comes back, like if I only get 40 games of a second round per game guy, okay, that, you know, sucks, not what I wanted, but 40 games from a second rounder is, well, I mean, he was drafted generally in the third this year, but let's say per game he's, he gets up near that second round marker. That's way better than 60 games from a guy who's a 11th rounder or whatever I was seeing on social media. I mean, this is some like panic mode advice. Our job as analysts is to stop you from panicking. This isn't DFS. We don't have to freak out each and every day. Okay? We have this opportunity because the season, especially on a roto side, because the roto season is like 22 weeks long and your head-to-head season is probably like 18 weeks long, you can just do nothing for a couple of days. That's okay. All right, enough ranting and raving on the Kawhi Leonard thing. Because I had another, uh, actually, a positive rant I want to save up. Well, regardless, for the Clippers, you know, Kawhi being good now, again, means that a lot of guys are completely irrelevant. You know, many of them are guys we've talked about for a long time, like John Wall never should have been on a roster. Reggie Jackson never should have been on a roster. Marcus Morris got off to a great start this year, but he can safely be dropped. Terrence Mann, drop him. Luke Kennard, if you had him, drop him. Uh, Nick Batum has been, like, weirdly good the last couple of weeks, but it's just a matter of time before old age catches up with him. We've seen that for about three years in a row. For Batum, there's going to be an injury coming. Um, He is, I I will admit, he is close. Batum is close to uh, a a roto startable point here. So keep a watch. Put Batum on your watch list. And then Ivica Zubats is another story altogether because, you know, it wasn't clear what Kawhi coming back and playing full minutes would do to Zoo, but it does seem like it allows the Clippers to change the way they're defending other teams. Now, Boston didn't have an interior presence. Blake Griffin was the starting center for the Celtics, and he just, like, he had no shot. So they didn't need a lot of Zubats. He was also in foul trouble, so take that into consideration as well. But he is trending down. Remember, Zoo was like a top 40 guy the first two weeks of the season. It hasn't quite been that way lately. Last month, he's in the 140 range, largely because the blocks have come back down where they've always been, which is like one. Instead of, what are you, like two and a half for three weeks there? Zubats is a late-round big man. That's what he is, and that's what he is again. Mid-podcast, that means i got to remind you guys of a couple of things. Uh, number one, manscaped.com, promo code ETHOS20. Get 20% off your order and free shipping 
on everything at manscaped.com. And you should check it out because, you know, it's freaking the holiday season. It's a perfect gift for males in your life that want to either deal with their fingernails. We talked about the shears. That's only a $20 deal. You can get it for $16 with our promo code ethos, $20 for 20% off and free shipping. Uh, you can get the Lawnmower 3.0. You can get the straight razor. You can get the three blade razor. There's all this really good stuff over there at manscaped.com. Please do take a moment to check that out. And again, use promo code at ethos20. Again, a reminder if you're listening to the recorded version, check out our YouTube page at youtube.com slash sports ethos and follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D A N B E S B R I S. We are going to continue doing loads of crap. Sometimes it's good crap over on social media. Uh, I know Twitter can be a bottomless pit of despair, but if you just follow the specific right folks, I promise you can make this thing work. And use TweetDeck, TweetDeck.com. It pulls all the riffraff out, and you just see your timeline, and you can even filter your timeline based on things that you like. All right. So I have two things I wanted to talk about here at the end of the show. One of them is Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's just been absolutely incredible so far this year. But I felt like it was important to highlight one part of his game that's been extra incredible. He's the number two player on a per-game basis. Uh, I believe he's the number three player on a totals basis. And a lot of what he's done has been because he has been epically amazing at the free-throw line this year. 93 0.3% on over 10 field goal attempts per ball game. That's second most in the NBA to Joel Embiid. And the percentage, I believe, among like qualifying fantasy players is best. He's tied with Seth Curry at that mark, but his volume is obviously way higher. You know, Trey Murphy is at 93.6, but he's only taking two free throws per game. So effectively right now, Shegyajus Alexander has... Well, it's basically the highest free throw percent on a second highest number of foul shots per ball game. The reason that this is interesting is because, yes, his overall value has been pretty significantly impacted by that category, but we really haven't had a player with who's turned free throw percent into a specialist level. Because, like... You know, sometimes we'll talk about guys who have a lot of blocked shots. Brooke Lopez at 2.9, Miles Turner at 2.4, JJJ at a ridiculous 3.6. Miles Turner at 2.4 blocks per game is actually less impactful in that category than Shea in free throws. Remember how we talked in years past? And a lot of people were like, well, what does Miles do besides block shots? You could almost apply, and this is not to knock Shea Gilgis-Alexander in any way, because obviously he is doing other things at a better-than-average level. But, like, if Miles Turner... If Shea was at Miles Turner's level in the other eight categories, he would basically be ranked where Miles is ranked, which is mid-second round. Shea's been able to push himself to the top of the first round because his steals at 1.8 are also elite, and his scoring at 31 is also elite. But it's interesting to note that a lot, a lot, and this is, by the way, more than anything what I'm saying right now is actually a shot at folks who say, well, Miles Turner doesn't do anything besides block shots, which is, you know, semi-true some of the time. But also, if you're that good at something, it has a massive 
level of fantasy appeal, which is basically what Shea has done with free throws this season, where, look, like, you can do the math on this. Shea Gilders-Alexander has been so good at foul shooting that you can take a team with Zion and Rudy Gobert, which would obviously be dead last in your league in foul shooting, and put Shea on that club and move it from dead last until right smack in the middle. Shea Gilgis-Alexander can wipe out Rudy Gobert and Zion together with his foul shooting this year. Uh, So the point of this is, number one, I just wanted to compliment Shea for what an unbelievable year he's having and how successful he's been at getting to the free throw line, but also to point out that, yes, like the guys at the top get there because sometimes they're just so good in a category that it elevates them to a level of second or first rounder. There are no players in the NBA who are, at least folks that are actually like playing daily right now. DeLon Wright is the only example that I could find, uh, but he's been hurt for most of the year. There are no players in the NBA that are as good in one statistical category as Shea Gilgis-Alexander is in free throws that aren't inside the top 20. Every single player that has had that type of impact in any single category is inside the top 20. And the closest player to having that kind of impact that isn't is DeAnthony Melton, who at 2.2 steals is number 44. Everybody else that's been that successful in any department, so OG Ananobi in steals, Miles Turner, Brooke Lopez in blocks, James Harden, Tyrese Halliburton in assists, JJJ also in blocks, Steph in three-pointers, AD, you could probably put him there in blocks. All of those guys inside the top 20, and actually all of them inside the top 16. Well, OG inside the top 19. That's how important it is to be hyper-elite. We kind of need a new word for it. To be elite in something is great, but to be hyper-elite, which is what Shea is doing in that category, that basically makes you a second-rounder with very little else going on. I mean, like, you know, you got to play the ball game. Can't be zeros in the other departments, but just, like, be average in most of the other stuff, which is kind of like what Miles and Brooke Lopez are, and they're second-rounders. And the other thing I wanted to talk about, which, again, this is just crap for the end of a show, this is fluff, is the new names. Let me give you the six names, and I'll take my opinions to it out to social media. The new MVP trophy is the Michael Jordan Award, Defensive Player of the Year, Hakeem Olajuwon. Rookie of the Year, the Wilt Trophy. Sixth Man of the Year has been renamed John Havlicek Trophy, obviously. Most Improved Player is George Mikan. I didn't fully understand that one. And the Clutch Player of the Year Award is named after the great Jerry West. So there you go. Six new names for trophies in the NBA. This is a fantasy basketball show, so we're not going to linger on that category. And uh, we'll just sort of work our way out towards the conclusion. So again, for everybody that's listening here on the recorded side, please do follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Hit me up, by the way, on YouTube or on Twitter if you guys want to get involved with us here at Sports Ethos. If you have questions, please take them to our totally free forums at sportsethos.com slash community. Much love to manscaped.com, promo code ethos20. Much love to expressvpn.com forward slash hoopball. Extra three months on your one-year subscription. And ThriveFantasy.com, promo code ETHOS, to get a deposit match up to $250 on your initial offering over there.
Shorter Tuesday card tonight. We'll again have our storylines for that. That'll also be on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Everything else we'll do over there, and we'll uh, continue to try to get these live shows going whenever we possibly can. Hope you'll join us for the next one. To the recorded folks, I bid you all adieu. Have a lovely Tuesday. We will talk at you again tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.